Beautiful. Good morning. It's always good to be back with you all after being away for a little while. And um, in that vein, I thought we would uh, keep you on your toes and shift our series slightly and return back to the book of Genesis. It is January, and I thought we'd uh, consider beginnings. So we are back in the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 16. Uh, If you'll open your pew Bibles, uh, the ESV pew Bible is page 13, Genesis chapter 16, page 13. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's 
turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, our prayer is what we have just sung, that all glory would be to Christ, that we would set His face before us as we long to be seen by Him, to be loved by Him, for we know that this has been accomplished in the work on the cross. And we know that even now he intercedes for us. And so we turn to this, your holy word, in an effort to grow in our wisdom and understanding and knowledge of who you are, and to grow in relationship with you and with one another. So, Father, we ask that you would grant us these things, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I wonder if you have ever attempted to intervene in a a particular situation out of panic. Uh, At our last church in Sydney, uh, we had a, a communion Sunday service. But the team that was responsible for bringing uh, the juice and the bread uh, forgot. And so I was in a a panicked rush, and I started looking in the pantry uh, of our very old church, which the cornerstone of our church was actually laid by the queen's grandfather in the early 1800s. And there I found some, some old bottles that I'm quite certain were corked uh, at the day that the church was founded. <laughs> And there in my panic, we we started pouring out this very old sacramental wine out for our service. Our church used to be Anglo-Catholic, and so I'm pretty sure they kept those bottles because they legitimately thought it was the blood of Christ in those bottles. Now, our service was a a very young congregation, and uh, many of the young people in our congregation had just started to drive. They'd just gotten their L's, their learner's permits. And Australia, of course, has a zero-tolerance policy on alcohol. And so the, the sheer panic on their faces when they realized they were consuming alcohol before they would have to get in their cars and, and drive off, they were so worried. Now, their faces were also wrenched because of the, how rancid this old wine was. <laughs> I thought that was probably my last day working there, although I will say I think some of us have had some rancid grape juice here in our (laughs) communion services. But you see, in an attempt to salvage what I could, I rushed to a judgment. I made a judgment call that I thought would work out, and it was obviously a bad decision, which is much of what we are seeing here in Genesis chapter 16 but with longer, more dramatic consequences than some angry teens and some upset tummies. And we pick up our Genesis account back up here in chapter 16, and we remember, if we're remembering the promises that God has made to Abram, that that there's a promise of a land, that there's a promise of an heir, that a son will be born, to Abram. This is a gift from God. But as the tension comes to us at the very front of this chapter, neither of these things have happened yet. And so we have this 
conflict at the very beginning of this account. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Right? So the reader is now reminded that this is still a problem that's going on. And so we're left asking ourselves, how long will it be like this? How long will this last? Will not God fulfill his promise? And remember, this is, this is not a, a, a Naban and climate promise. This is, this is not a promise that Abram has made up uh, and then attributed to God as we see in some circles today. No, this was a very real and direct promise from the mouth of God to Abram. And it is a promise that will affect all of humanity. For the people of God will come through the line of Abram. And the, and the promised Messiah will come through the line of Abram. But where is the evidence Where is the fulfillment? Because the clock is ticking. We've moved beyond a geriatric pregnancy and into potentially more of an end-of-life pregnancy. That was a joke. (laughs) It's a further reminder to us of God's divine timeline. He, he, He does not operate the way that we would like. We want immediacy. We we want the promises here and now. And I think this has only gotten worse as our our culture today lives in the immediate. We we can't wait 30 seconds for a a text message to come through or or, or for a web page to load before we fly off a handle. And my goodness, do not be at a stoplight when the light turns green. You have... 0.2 seconds to accelerate and get out of the way before someone is going to notify you. (laughs) But you see, that attitude, it's incongruent with the divine timeline. And look, human nature was the same even thousands of years ago. They still were feeling the pressing need for something to happen, something to move forward. Well, the text introduces us to a new character in our storyline. Hagar, the Egyptian servant of Sarai, she is probably acquired in the time when Abram and Sarai were in Egypt, when they should not have been in Egypt. And and, and they go and they tell Pharaoh that they are uh, uh, siblings and... uh, uh, It's a a total mess, and and, and this is even a consequence of that. Verse 2, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And here we come to our first point this morning, human faithlessness. Human faithlessness. This is a recurring theme, isn't it? It's a recurring theme in Genesis. It's a a recurring theme throughout Scripture. Out of her frustration with the Lord and, and her frustration with her situation, Sarai says, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And so let me ask you, is it the Lord that has prevented this? Yes. But why? 
and we're not given an answer. We don't know why. It is in His infinite wisdom that He sovereignly chooses His timing. But if He is a trustworthy God, which He has proven Himself to be, then the issue is not with Him, but with His human agents. Will we trust Him? And will we trust His promises? Sarai and Abram don't in, uh, do not in this particular instance, even though the promises have been made to them, even though uh, assurances have been made to them, covenants have been made, out of this faithlessness, a, a desire to, to, to procure the promise on their own timeline and, and by their own cunning and, and their own intellect and their own devices, Sarai and Abraham reach outside of means by which God provides, and they go to the customs of the surrounding areas, of the surrounding cultures. Because in the ancient Near East, it was, it was culturally acceptable, one, to have multiple wives, and two, to sire children through servants. We, of course, will read about this later on in Genesis with Rachel and Leah and their maidservants. But, but, but this was never a design of God. This is a perversion of, of God's design. But Sarai and Abram also grow frustrated and they run to what the world or the culture offers as an alternative option. Because the world always offers immediate solutions. Can't find a spouse at church through, or through Christian friends? Go to less reputable sources, where the quality of candidates are much less. Or better yet, be, be promiscuous before marriage. Has someone offended you? My goodness, cut them off. Drop them off. There's no point in clinging on to them. And then start telling people things about them so that people are endeared to you and begin to despise them. See yourself in a positive light. Portray yourself in a positive light. There's a book called Girl, Wash Your Face by an author called Rachel Hollis. It's, she's a self-professed Christian. Uh, Elisa Childers writes quite a bit about her book. And uh, this book is supposed to be a guide to finding your true self. Um, it's got lots of Christian spiritual language used throughout it, but, but ultimately this is the conclusion. It's to love yourself, happiness depends on you, follow your dreams, all roads lead to God, sin is not your problem. You know, it's the stuff that the Puritans were writing about. Man. Have I been gone that long? <clears throat> I have to get some joke tips from Mike Slaughter. <clears throat> but you see, this is what the world offers as alternative solutions. Even in Christian circles, qu 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 you want a quick alternative to your, to your problem? Quick resolution? No, not quite. But before we move on, I want us to notice a couple of lines that are used in this section. First, in verse 2, Sarai says, Go into my servant. It 
may be that I shall obtain children by her. Notice this. And Abram listened to the voice of his wife, Sarai. Any idea where we've heard that before? Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. I know we had a long break with the book of Mark and other things, but let's go back and remember our early Genesis accounts. God is handing down the curse to Adam, and he says, Because you have listened to your wife and have eaten of the tree, cursed is the ground, and in pain you will eat of it. Abram and Sarai are repeating the the sin of Adam and Eve again. Then look with me at verse 3. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Again, any familiarity here? She took Hagar and gave her to her husband. This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her. What's the moral of the story? Husbands, don't listen to your wives. Oh, now you get it. Okay. You got that one. Actually, I'm very grateful that you laughed at that one. Otherwise, you might have thought I was serious. And my wife is here. No, no, this is a, this is a, this account is a, it's a re-fall. It's a re-fall. The the original sin has not been dealt with. It hasn't gone anywhere. The same mistake is being made over again. Mankind is still standing by the tree of knowledge. We know that the the original temptation was to not be satisfied with the gifts and the ways of God, and that is still the case for Abram and Sarai. And it is still the case today. Distrusting of the character of God, the goodness of God, the provision of God, the promise of God, not turning to Him in desperation, but thinking that we can accomplish what only God can do. But that is not the only problem with Sarai, because Hagar, in fact, does get pregnant. And so now we have additional tension, as if we needed any more here. First, there's the, the, the waiting of the, the, on the Lord to fulfill His promise, tension that we have, and, and now there's this added tension that was brought on by Sarai herself, which is her tension between her and Hagar and herself and her husband Abram. Verse 4, Hagar conceives and then looks on Sarai with contempt. She looks on her with dishonor, with disdain, in disobedience to her mistress. And because of this, she will eventually, Hagar, be cut off from the family of blessing. Verses 5 and 6, Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Okay, 
Sounds like a lot of arguments between people. The blame is rolling around. So, so, so Hagar despises Sarai. Sarai holds Abram responsible. And Abram is doing nothing. Who is wrong here? At whose feet does the blame belong? Who is the guilty party in all of this? They all are. Sarai is guilty of distrusting and blaming God for her predicament. Abram is guilty of not leading as he ought to. Hagar is guilty for the way she's treating her mistress. There is no one righteous. No, not one. And so, of course, as a man, Abram feels he needs to right the ship. Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please which I think is better translated, do to her what is right in your eye, which is an appeal for her to do what is right. In other words, treat her well. But that doesn't happen. Because we read, then Sarai dealt harshly with her. And Hagar flees from Sarai. This is a mess. I think we can uh, qualify that. That's a mess right there. This is a total disaster. Everything has gone wrong. It's like a house of cards. It's one decision is made, and the consequences are numerous, and now they are outside of, of, of Sarai and Abram's own control of the situation. Isn't this how things work, though? We think of David's sin with Bathsheba and all the consequences that rolled out from the one decision. Or we think of Israel's disobedience and we think of all that rolled out from each sequential generation, one after the other after the other, the sins of the father, the sin, excuse me, the sins of the father. Sin is toxic. It rolls out one consequence after another consequence and, and, and much of it cannot be controlled. It's like knocking over a shelf in a library and then just watching the, each shelf hit the next, the next, the next. And there's nothing you can do. You can't run ahead and stop. Beyond your control. This is our situation for our covenant family in Genesis. Who will save them from these bodies of death? Praise be to God that he intervenes. And this is our second point, the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. Hagar has run away, and inside of her is a descendant of Abram. Though he's not the child of promise, and in verse 7, God graciously intervenes in a dysfunctional family situation. Although I think we must note here that this is a family that knows God and knows better. At this point, I think we need to think of Paul's words to the church in Galatia. Where he, he actually uses this contrast between Hagar and slavery, and Sarah as the free woman. And in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
as if it were that God gets us started and he, he justifies us and now it's up to us to do the rest of the work. That we just sort of leave him in our dust and, and we're pushing on. We, you know, we can do it by our own external righteousness. That seems to be the, the mentality that Abram and Sarai are having at this point. The angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Bruce Waltke in his commentary notes that this is the only instance in ancient Near Eastern literature where a deity addresses a woman by name. And it is Yahweh. There's also this feel here of God pursuing Adam after he hides in the garden because of his shame. And here, yet again, graciously, God pursues. She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. What? Not go free? With tremendous blessing, right? Isn't that what we would anticipate in our American thought process? Go free, liberty, go. But return to her in submission. Now, perhaps this is a protection for Hagar that, that, that she is far safer in the tents of Abram, even with Sarai, than she would be as a single mother in Egypt. We don't know. There, there's a purpose for God holding her back from running away. And sometimes God does that with us, does He not? He, he sends us back from whatever it is that we are running from for His purposes. In my preaching program that I was in a, a couple of weeks ago out in California, there are men from all over the world who come in for this program. And I get to hear about their local churches in whatever city that they are doing ministry in. And I get to hear about their situations. And, and, and so many of them have talked about being at churches that are so antagonistic towards them. And I'll say, first of all, it makes me very grateful for this church and this body where I don't have that feeling, not yet, although your lack of laughter at some things have... <laughs> put us a little bit on edge, but, but you see, these churches, they fight with their pastor over everything, and many of them have admitted that there have been so many times when they have just wanted to leave because they feel so alone. They have no one on their side, and some of them do give up, and they, they move to other cities, and they they start other churches or they, they join other churches. Some of them have actually left the ministry altogether because of this situation. But you see, there are some who stay because they kept feeling the Lord was calling them to go back to those people. And more often than not, with patience, God 
brings healing. God brings restoration to those relationships and those places. And these ministers end up having such wonderful, fruitful, joyful ministry for many years. But it can be hard to see through the difficulty in the moment. Then God prophesies to Hagar what will come of her offspring. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. She knew she was pregnant. She didn't know it was a boy. Now she does. Early uh, pregnancy testing by the Spirit. (laughs) You shall call his name Ishmael. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction, and he shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Bir Lahai Roi. It lies between Kedesh and Bered, and Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Do you feel the repetition of husband and wife and Hagar? And Moses wants to make this abundantly clear that this was an error. But what will God do with it? Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. The God who sees and hears. This is a, is a double-sided name, is it not? He, he heard Hagar's affliction, but it is also a rebuke to Abram and Sarai. For they failed to trust in the God who hears. Rather than voicing their, their fears and their worries and their doubts to Him, who hears and sees and knows. They attempt to solve their problems themselves. And now they will live with this reminder around them. It's it's not too dissimilar to later in Genesis where Jacob has to walk with the limp. It's this reminder of a dependence on God and a failure. In so many ways, they failed to trust and believe in the God who made a covenant that he would do what he said. And Ishmael is a curse of sorts on the promised line of Abram. Because it will be the line of Ishmael that will cause issues for the Israelites As Moses is writing the book of Genesis and the Israelites are feeling the consequences of Abraham's failure. In fact, there are so many similarities. There's no doubt there's a reason that Hagar is from Egypt. There's so many similarities between Hagar and Ishmael and the Israelites in Egypt. Both are despised and and, and treated poorly by their masters. Both go into the wilderness and are brought back. Both will eventually go free by the will of God But nevertheless, there is forever this reminder of the distrust of God. And yet, God does not cast 
Abram and Sarai out, he does not say, I will find another who will carry this seed of promise, this seed of deliverance. In fact, there will be a new covenant that we will look at next week that will remind us of the first covenant from Genesis chapter 15 in the cutting of the animals. But you see, God is gracious and He works His will despite the efforts of His people. Look at the response of the Egyptian slave woman. You are a God of seeing, for she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. And the well is called Bir Lahai Roi, which some say means the well of the living one who sees me. He doesn't just see the kings in their palaces. He doesn't just see the princes on their horses. He even sees me, an Egyptian servant girl. And he has been gracious to me, providing a lineage, providing a heritage. And so the text ends in the same place it started. Abram was... 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Abram is still getting older, and there is still no full heir. There is still nothing to show for it. Now there is this clinging to the promise and a reminder that God sees and God hears. The Israelites in the wilderness, those who are the first recipients of this, what do they have? They are clinging to a promise and a reminder that God sees and God hears. And they too will distrust Yahweh and believe that He has left them there for dead, even though they've been reminded of this promise over and over What do we have today? Even in the seeing of the fulfillment of what was promised to Abram, of what was promised to David, and the promises fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, we still cling to the promise that He will never leave us nor forsake us, that He is always with us till the end of the age, and we have the reminder that God sees and God hears. Does that encourage you today? Maybe you have made a royal mess of things in your life. Maybe your family is this type of, has this type of dysfunction in it. Maybe there is strife in your home, a husband and wife, mothers and fathers and children. What is our encouragement? What can our encouragement be through this? We have a God who is faithful, a God who intervenes at just the right time. We may have reminders all around us of where we have failed, of where our faith has been weak, of where we have been unfaithful. But they are also reminders of God's goodness to us despite our efforts despite our efforts to go back to the ways of the flesh. We worship the God who sees and the God who hears. Let us pray. (coughs) Father, sometimes we want things to just be black and white.
And yet even here in this account is the mixed blessing and cursing. And that's oftentimes what we experience. Consequences for decisions that we have made. But you're not a God who, who, who shoves our face into that and desperately wants us to cower out of a fear of, of abuse of any sort. You're still gracious. And so you use those reminders to remind us of who you are. You even use those failures in our life, those areas where we have been unfaithful, where we have tried to take things into our own hands and accomplish your will, our own selves. And you use them, just like Ishmael, just like Jacob's limp, to remind us that we are always dependent on you and that you are a trustworthy father. For you have proven yourself over and over again, the height of which you have provided yourself in the person of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Him we can cast our failures and our sins, those things that were born on the cross. And now you look at us as redeemed people. When you look at us, you see your Son. So, Father, use those things. Use those areas where we have failed. Use those areas where we have been unfaithful to remind us of your goodness. To remind us that you are a good Father. And that you are lovingly, patiently drawing us to yourself. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.